This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash freebooks for a free downloadable copy in PDF form of this book. Productive Christians in an Age of Guilt Manipulators, A Biblical Response to Ronald J. Sider by David Chilton, published by Institute for Christian Economics, Tyler, Texas, copyright 1981. I am reading the revised and expanded edition dedicated to P.T. Bauer, Ford by Gary North. Chapter 4. Is God on the Side of the Poor? I want to argue that one of the central biblical doctrines is that God is on the side of the poor. Ronald Sider, The Christian Century, March 19, 1980, page 314. God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Acts 10, 34, and 35. Ronald Sider's answer to the question posed in this chapter is an unequivocal yes. Well, not quite unequivocal. In a recent article published by the Christian Century, he did back away from certain extreme implications of such a stand. In fairness to Sider, we will allow him to speak for himself on what he does not mean by this statement. Quote, I do not mean that material poverty is a biblical ideal. Second, I do not mean that the poor and oppressed are, because they are poor and oppressed, to be idealized or automatically included in the church. Third, I do not mean that God cares more about the salvation of the poor than the salvation of the rich, or that the poor have a special claim to to the gospel. Fourth, to say that God is on the side of the poor is not to say that knowing God is nothing more than seeking justice for the poor and oppressed. Finally, I do not mean that hermeneutically we must, set, we must side with some ideologically interpreted context of oppression, for instance, a Marxist definition of the poor and their oppressed situation, and then reinterpret scripture from that ideological perspective, end quote. While some of Sider's disclaimers are debatable, particularly the last one, let us accept them for now. There remain several serious objections to what he does clearly mean by claiming that God is on the side of the poor. His defense of this central thesis in most of his writings is structured around three basic points. First, he claims that at pivotal points of Revelation history, that is, the exodus, the destruction of Israel and Judah, and the incarnation, God intervened to liberate the poor. Second, he says, God is always at work in history, casting down the rich and exalting the poor. Third, he states that God's people are on the side of the poor. A basic objection to all this is that Sider has committed the same fallacy of equivocation that we examined in the previous chapter. Who are the poor? Who are the rich? Is God always for the one and against the other? If we desire to be biblical, we can no more make the poor 
and abstraction that we can make slaves and abstraction. God's law is not abstract, but specific. The Bible declares that God is actually against a certain type of poor people. The sluggard who is lazy and thoughtless about the future has no claim on God's mercy. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11, 13, verse 4, and 18, 19, 15, 20, 13, 21, 25 to 26, 24, 30, 34, and 28, 19. God certainly is not on the side of any lawbreakers who happen to be poor. Just as the rich often are tempted to be proud, denying God's goodness, so the poor are tempted to covet the possessions of others and take God's name in vain. Proverbs 37-9 In fact, this is a prominent theme in the biblical definition of God's relationship to the poor man. God promises, When he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. Exodus 22-27 But immediately God offers this warning. You shall not curse God nor curse a ruler of your people. Exodus 22:28. If we are unjust to the poor and they cry out to God, he will hear and avenge them and provide for their needs. But a poor man must not curse God, as if he has been unfair in his providential dealings with him. Also, he must not revile those in authority over him. These are special temptations to which the poor can easily fall prey, and the poor are are sternly cautioned against succumbing to them. Whenever we feel oppressed, we want to lash out at God for dealing with us or dealing us a bad hand. The ungodly poor will blame God for their misfortune, and they are promised nothing but judgment. Any man who blasphemes God, be he rich or poor, is to be put to death. Leviticus 24:13-16 Moreover the ungodly poor with a slave mentality are apt to regard the state as their rightful savior if the ruler does not step in to bail them out they will curse him as well god will not hear the prayers of those who thus defy him and his constituted authority emphatically he is not on their side Covetousness and theft are strong temptations to one who is in want. If a starving man steals food, we can understand his reasons. Nevertheless, Scripture says he must make a sevenfold restitution. Proverbs 6, 30-31 Until he does, he is still a thief. And God is not on his side, either regardless of mitigating circumstances. The disobedient have no claim on God's mercy or protection. He who turns away his ear from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Proverbs 28 verse 9. Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than he who is crooked though he be rich. Proverbs 28 verse 6. The message of scripture is that God is a refuge to those who call upon him. But if the poor man curses the Lord and breaks his law, not trusting in him, God has only condemnation. Socioeconomic status is no guarantee against God's wrath. Therefore the Lord does not take pleasure in their young men, nor does he have pity on their orphans or their widows. For every one of them is godless and an evildoer. 
and every mouth is speaking foolishness. Isaiah 9, 17. Sider loves to quote from Luke 4, 18 and 19, where Jesus declares, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Thus, Sider claims Christ's mission was to free the oppressed and heal the blind. The poor are the only group specifically singled out as recipients of Jesus' gospel. At the supreme moment of history, when God took on human flesh, the God of Israel was still liberating the poor and oppressed and summoning his people to do the same. End quote. There he goes again, the oppressed, the blind, the poor, as if Christ makes no distinction at all. Yet what Christ says a few verses later is very important to regard with regard to God's care of the poor. Jesus was preaching in Nazareth, his hometown, where he was faced with rejection and unbelief, even apparently by the poor and the oppressed. Our Lord responded by leaving town permanently. The poor of Nazareth were henceforth excluded from his ministry. Before he left, Jesus explained his actions by reminding them of Elijah and Elisha's ministry to the poor and afflicted. Although there were those in, the, in their day who had not bowed to Baal, still it was a time of rampant, vicious ungodliness. The poor of Israel received no help from God's prophets. Instead, the prophets aided foreigners who had called on the name of the Lord and were obedient to his word. Our Lord's comment stunned, and the people of Nazareth felt it. But I say in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three, and, three years and six months, when a great famine came over the land. Note, God afflicted both the rich and the poor by withholding rain. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And all in the synagogue were filled with rage as they heard these things. And they rose up and cast him out of the city, and led him to the bow of the hill on which their city had been built, in order to throw him down the cliff. Luke 4, 25 through 29. In this important statement, Jesus declares that God's concern for the poor is discriminatory. It is not just the poor in some abstract, general, universal sense who are the objects of God's care. Here they are on the same level with the rich. If they reject Christ, they are themselves rejected by him. They wanted benefits but were ready to murder him when they discovered that he practiced discrimination in his welfare plan. There is no getting around this text. It stands in the same passage with the previous one about Christ's ministry to the poor, to guard against the false impression perpetrated by Sider, etc., that he came to relieve the sufferings of the poor without any distinction. 
God's mercy is neither promiscuous nor partial in terms of economic status, but he hears those who call upon him in truth, Psalm 145.18, and hates all those who do iniquity, Psalm 5.4-5. Regardless of the size of their paycheck, it is for this reason that the psalmist can exult, the Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, O Lord, hast not forsaken those who seek thee. Psalm 9, 9 and 10. God does not merely relieve the oppressed or troubled in general. He graciously relieves the sufferings of those who seek him. The poor man who is treated unjustly has no legal recourse in an ungodly society, need not despair. If he seeks the Lord with his whole heart, he will find him. God will arise in deliverance, breaking in pieces the oppressor, avenging injustice, and satisfying the needs of his people. Psalm 12, verse 5, 34, verse 6, 68, verse 10, 72, 2 through 14, 113, verses 7 and 8, 140, verse 12, 146, verse 7. If the poor man commits himself to the Lord, Psalm 10, verse 14, he will be delivered. God will deliver the needy when he cries for help. Psalm 72, 12. But not before. And if the needy opts for revolution instead, God will crush him to powder. By appealing to class consciousness, by inciting resentment against a state which does not dispense enough benefits, by encouraging covetousness, envy, and theft against the rich, Ronald Sider has chosen the way of revolution. This is underscored by his belief in chaos as a key to history. Implying that the rich are, ipso facto, oppressors, he turns revolution into an almost metaphysical principle. God regularly reverses the good fortunes of the rich. God is on the side of the poor, a matter of principle. He constantly, over and over again, overthrows the rich and exalts the poor, and we must side with him in the revolution. As Karl Marx phrased it, the battle cry of the revolutionaries must be permanent revolution. Anarchist Leo Tolstoy agreed the only revolution is the one that never stops. Actually, this notion of permanent revolution brings up an intriguing point. The seesaw philosophy of history is apparently required here. When God overthrows the rich, they become poor, and the oppressed become rich. Since God always sides with the poor and regularly overthrows the rich, he must side with the formerly wealthy against the nouveau riches. Insider social theory, everyone is miserable. If you're poor, the rich oppress you, and if you're rich, God overthrows you. Sort of like cosmic hot potato, up, down, up, down, up, down. The last one with the money goes to hell. But this is not an accurate statement of biblical social justice. Siding with the poor is not automatic with God, nor should it be with his people. As we have seen already, the law demands justice. You shall not follow a multitude in doing evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after a multitude in order to pervert justice. 
nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his dispute. He shall not pervert the justice due to your needy brother in his dispute. Exodus 23, 3 and 6. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But you shall judge your neighbor fairly. Leviticus 19, verse 15. We may not mechanically assume that the poor man's cause is right. The first to plead his case seems just until another comes and examines him. Proverbs 18, verse 17. The issue in in justice is not which one is the underdog, but which one is right. And the standard of justice is not relative wealth or poverty, but the abiding law of God. When God does reverse the good fortune of the rich in judgment, it is because of sin. And since the rich can be tempted to forget God and to trust in their own might, there is always the danger of sneering at or oppressing those below them. God hates this. It is he who gives the power to get wealth. Oppression of others is a denial of the divine origin of riches. But oppression of the poor is wrong, not because God sides with them any more than with others. It is wrong to oppress anyone. You are commanded to return even your enemy's lost possessions to him. Exodus 23, 4 and 5. Let's suppose, for example, that you have an enemy who has truly wronged you. Still, you may not pervert the justice due him. You may not like him, but you must observe the rights God has established. For a more extreme example, let us suppose that a really worthless, lazy bum has committed a rape. Biblical law commands that he be executed, but it also commands us to give him a fair trial with proper evidence, regardless of how much we may rightfully despise him. And if the evidence is insufficient to convict him biblically, he must go free. In a word, justice. We won't have perfect justice in this fallen world, not ever. Some criminals will undoubtedly go unpunished for lack of evidence. But we can have swift, substantial justice, and we should work diligently to that end. The biblical standards for treatment of the poor acknowledge the fact that we men are sinners and that we tend to look down at those who are less well-off or a bit more well-off than we are. So the Bible reminds us repeatedly to abide by God's strict canons of justice, fairness to our fellow man, even if they have done wrong, is the biblical mandate. God is not on the side of the poor. He demands that we treat them according to his law. If we oppress them, he will punish us. And if we call upon him, he will hear and deliver us. Whose side is God on? Not the rich, not the poor, not any social or economic class, not any race. The answer to the question can be easily determined when we answer a much more important question posed by Moses in Exodus 32:26 who is on the Lord's side The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows but that you also live out your faith in every area of life 
We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.